Hi everyone, um, this is our fifth podcast, uh, this is week seven of teaching, um, and uh, as usual, my name is Majid, I'm here with a group of um, to-be social scientists, um, actors, and uh, community activists, and everyone's involved in different ways, so as usual, we'll go around and just say hi, you know, and who, who we are. Um, so this week, the format is, we will be, the main topic is going to be based on our um, lecture today was emergent development entrepreneur from below so and um, and our guest speaker is, is kelly who will be speaking about feminist um, economics so i won't say too much more i'll just get everyone to say hi and just their name quickly so if you can start please I'm Nusha and I'm doing international relations. I'm Kelly and I'm studying art and politics. Okay, thank you very much, Kelly. And uh, so just to, just to get started, just to get more time, I will ask Kelly to start on a bit. Okay. Alright, so my name is Nusha Kelly. I'm studying electronics, economics, by definition, is political finance, economics, economy, with a focus on. <laughs> economic inquiry and policy analysis. Feminist economics researchers, academics, activists, um, they all want to focus on why women are being neglected in the field of economics and why certain femininely associated jobs like care work and teaching and more emotionally based things are ignored by the wider economy. Um, also, these researchers focus on topics that have been neglected in fields like uh, intimate partner violence and economic theories, which would be improved through better incorporation of gendered effects and interactions, such as being paid, such as the paid and unpaid sectors of economies. And what I mean by that, especially in relation to uh, women in the global south, is that they often have their jobs. Um, that give them a salary, normally very, very small, but then after their job ends, morning or night, they have to go home and do a whole other job because they are the primary caretakers of children's parents and husbands, whoever. Um, so what some of the more radical views of feminist economic studies would like to explore is how are we going to pay and if we are going to pay that unpaid work and if it is even possible for that unpaid work to be measured. Um, so I guess because I'm not, I'm an art and politics person, I'm not a Global South person, I guess I could just open that up to discussion and if you think that perhaps even the work that women are doing that is unpaid can be you know, signified in some kind of economic structure. Okay, so, so it's basically throwing a question back at us and relating it back to what she spoke about in terms of feminist economics and the sector, um, specifically the care sector, um, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, you know is hugely dominated by um, women in, in the service. And um, I think uh, you, you touched on paid, low-paid work. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this kind of relates back to the uh, the informal economy. Uh, within uh, the discussion that we had this morning, actually. Um, 
So in the, in the care sector, you do have, I think even, even in, in the, uh, for example, the Global North, you do have um, voluntary work, um, you do have a lot of part-time work. Um, and so in terms of the informal, I think it kind of still plays in part in, into the whole informal economy side of things. And obviously in the Global South, the, this is hugely exploited as well. Um, so I think the care sector typically is like when we spoke, obviously you'd have to break the care sector down quite a bit in terms of um, what kind of care. So for example, women's roles traditionally is to be the care of the house, taking care of the elderly, taking care of the, you know, the mother, the in-laws, the kids, even the husband. And all of this is basically not paid. Um, so that, there's a huge discussion around that and should that be commodified and should they be paid for that? Um, and kind of trying to relate it back to the, the global south, obviously, in in the global south, you have a huge, um, you know, female workforce that work within the garment factory, and a lot of that work is very informal. Um, and I think um, so. It's not it's not just the, the care sector there, but it's also the kind of um, kind of the you know it's the fashion industry and it's all, the, all the different industries that benefit from this informal um, kind of um, labour. So does anyone want to add anything to that? Or does anyone? There is, just to give you guys more to think about, there is um, campaigns in the Western world and the Global North. Um, there is the Nike Foundation has a campaign like this, and um, I think it's the, the Day of the Girl or whatever, where they, um, they do, they, they are a charity which reaches out for donations, and their manner of getting donations is based on the fact that girls, young girls from the Global South, will carry the global economy and will make it better. They have this whole thing where if you give a girl in the global south a cow, then she can turn that cow into an enterprise because of milk. And because of the milk, she will have the money to stay in school. And because she stays in school, she won't get married very early on. And because she won't get married early on, she won't have babies and then won't repeat the cycle of poverty, which in theory is a very good thing. Then again, it is being advertised to people in Western countries. Um, and in addition to commodifying that kind of care labor, um, the pressure that is put on girls in the global mm -hmm. South is very, very great, especially compared to the resources they have and the lack of resources they have in comparison to everyone else. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, I was talking to a friend about this like last week which is really funny, just about Nike Foundation and yeah. this kind of like pressure that they're basically mm -hmm. putting on like the whole fact that the whole, that the global South economy will be, you know, saved by young girls. Yeah. Again, that like pressure of on their shoulders is quite significant and it doesn't really account for any other structural yeah. like issues, <laughs> which is... Yeah, the issue I have with it is kind of, yes, we should of course uplift women in the global South to be educated and to you know promote same sex and all that but it is with the intent of making it better for the economy not just making it better because it's the right thing to do and I also think that women especially in certain situations in the global south face a host of problems stemming from domestic violence intimate partner violence you know rape and we're, we don't see campaigns so much to stop those things, um, just the kind of pressure put on these women economically. And it's just, looking at it, 
very briefly, it's like it's a great concept, but I also think it's just this very ugly capitalistic concept where your life only matters if you're going to make the world economy better. And if you're not, then whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and also this aspect of yeah. pain to the caretaker as a mm -hmm. woman, I think yeah. it also puts yeah. pressure on the woman that she basically has to be this caretaker yeah. and and just justifies this mindset that the woman is supposed to take care of her husband mm -hmm. or is supposed to take care of the husband's parents or, mm -hmm. or their kids or whatever. And look, now she's even getting paid for that. So that's, I think, it's a... Yeah, because um, actually, I'll just talk, I mentioned this to Max earlier about microfinance um, and Mohammed Yunus, and, and I mentioned this in our gender class on um, Tuesday as well. So I don't know if people were about the, aware of like um, microfinance and the idea behind it. So Mohammed Yunus, who's known as the father of microfinance, um, there are some pluses and then there are a lot of negatives that can be talked about as well in terms of outcome of that. But um, And the idea behind it was, his approach was to use capitalism to help alleviate uh, poverty. Um, and what through the Grameen Bank that they set up was to only give these microfinances, but payday loans basically, but it's quite slightly different, um, is, uh, is basically give the loan to uh, a woman who's the, uh, basically, you know, who has a family, a kids and a husband, because she's more likely to reinvest that money in taking care of the family and reinvest it in like, let's say, cow or some kind of enterprising um, kind of, um, idea to make something back for the family whereas if the man gets it he would potentially drink it away gamble it away or you know maybe go to a prostitute who knows um so that was the idea behind it there's some positive outcomes of it in terms of um they found a lot of women were able to kind of use that money and kind of in some ways take control of their situation because the men had to be in a way nice to them but since i'm in some sense in some situation they actually ag aggravated domestic violence yeah mm -hmm. backfired as well um so what are your thoughts on that in terms of putting again the responsibility on the woman because the idea was that she'd be responsible with it but again it's, she has to do everything for the greater good rather than you know i think it's it's so i think it's empowering for women to for women with that opportunity but then you also need to consider some of the societies in which they live and like the way they'll be treated because of that like some of them live in very how can you say like very complex situations whereby a woman being given that money they would then be stigmatized as something that possibly and that could potentially in endanger their life or at least make their life more difficult than it already is okay. and also going back to the point about like paying them for this work that's in in my opinion, I know obviously it's difficult in countries that are de in in development as such, but that's the point of a welfare state is to provide for those people that need to look after other people. Like when when my nan got ill, for example, my my mum would care for her, but I actually left my original degree and had a year out of it to like be a part time caregiver for my nan, and then I worked the rest of it. But I did that because she'd help raise me because I was a single child and stuff like that. Just because you're caring for family doesn't mean that that isn't work and that you are, in other way, providing someone that the state would have to be burdened by. So you should in some ways be looked after and not penalised for that. And in the same way with this. And it shouldn't, they sh it shouldn't be framed just as women. Because to say that that's women's work, like Nusha said and like Tara said, to say that that's women's work is insulting to women. Because 
is is anyone's one is what is it is what a decent human being would do ultimately at the end of the day so that it's about how we frame stuff as well i'd say i agree but also speaking in terms of um, developing nations it is um that's a whole other conversation of changing societal pressures and implementing you know feminism as a concept and not just something that is a seedling that starts with just recognizing women as something other than second-class citizens or even something that is a commodity that is to be bought and sold as well so yeah it's very, it is very hard when we translate into certain societies yeah. that we yeah. that, that these countries have where where they are very still marked by there are roles for women, there are roles for men, but these, these are the roles that they play, and it is very hard to break them down. So to a certain extent, you do need to work within that system to ensure that the, those women are still protected. So I do agree, I do understand that yeah, it is idealistic at best to think of it as being somewhere where we where people don't see certain gender roles and certain gender. It's the interesting thing about feminist gender economics is the fact that we can't often relate a lot of things similarly, at least I don't think, to the global north and the global south. But in this particular instance, it the gender roles are still very, very intrinsic in both societies. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much in the global north, but there is still an expectation that, yes, a woman should work, but she should also come home and be motherly and nurturing, nurturing and have dinner on the table for when her husband comes home afterwards. And there's still a phenomena of most teachers are women, most nurses are women, most people in caregiving roles are women. And I just think that's interesting that no matter where you go, traveling the globe, that is a really just... It's it's an idea that's infiltrated everywhere. Yeah, and also this, I think, what is common to the whole world is this shock and shaming of women when they say they don't want a family, they don't yeah. want to be a caretaker. Oh, but you'll change your mind. Yeah, yeah, you'll yeah, see. Yeah. You'll see when you're 35, 40, yeah. your, your your biological yeah. instincts yeah. will. Set up. Yeah, so that's a, so it's interesting. 
there was um I've started to listen to a podcast about this about there's a film coming out about an American president or someone who was going to run for the presidency but he was found to be having an affair in the like 70s mm-hmm. and he was like the poster boy for one of the yeah this, I don't it's coming out soon and he basically this is when the media starts to get involved in people's like private lives and then when that kind of image of having a family and being like oh a wholesome, wholesome person comes into being because he's found to be having an affair and like someone finds out and he gets interviewed on TV about it. Um, I will find it, but it's a film that's coming out. I, I know. I don't. I don't think it's Mayor Koch. Mayor Koch was the mayor of New York City, and he mm. was a confirmed bachelor, which is the, <laughs> which is yeah. the seventies version yeah. of saying the closet is gay now. Um, and he didn't. He didn't have a family. He didn't, you know. He and everybody would comment on it. Everybody would comment. Yes. No. They called him a confirmed bachelor, and he never confirmed or denied. people clear like obsessed with his private life right that's the, um, or not really. more more so now but he was yeah. just like a really beloved yeah. mayor yeah he's very new york city yeah. i always in terms of like the whole family concept i guess if we're we're relating this back to american politicians i always think it's interesting um you know in relation to treatment of women that if barack obama had you know said those things on the freaking TMZ bus or, you know, had five children by three women, he wouldn't have even been a congressman. And we all know why. But um, the current president has done all those things. And all of a sudden, he's the face of white Christian family values. And is also against in- immigrants when all of his wives. It's not a regular income. Um, it's, it's not 
not even really going to recognise. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see like how we think the the private sector could help with this. How do we think? So do we think like um, big larger multinational corporations have a huge role to play, or is it NGOs or? I was just going to say, aren't the, the large multinational organisations are the ones who are fueling that informal sector yeah, anyway, aren't they? Because they're the ones who are outsourcing all of their like production to other countries and like trying to cut their own costs. Yeah. So, I mean, until they recognise or until... So I, I recently went to the Environmental Audit Committee at work is doing an inquiry into sustainable fashion. And basically, there were, lots of people were just saying that until the changes happen in like a country level where things are sort of better health and safety measures because every factory is making stuff for every brand so it doesn't matter you can't target a specific brand because ultimately they're all they're all doing it and they're all you go into one factory and the they're making stuff for every for everyone so until you those organizations recognize that they need to kind of put pressure on those local governments to change those things that I mean, nothing will change, and they're the ones who are fueling it. So I don't really know what they can. So are we are we, are we suggesting that it is ultimately it's still the government's role, um, and they have to be kind of um, ones that should be kind of um, making that change or? Well, I just I think I, I think well I don't know what you guys think, but from like a cynical perspective, I think organisations or well, large companies want to make as much money as possible. And they will work to the rules of that state. Mm. So if that means that they can save money, that's pretty cynical. But that's, I mean, that's, I think that's how it works. Yeah, yeah profit. Exactly. People. So then yeah. in that sense, I think the only mechanism that is left then is the state to then, I mean, you can have like external pressures of like NGOs and like, mm. you know, protest groups. But I think until you can. Until something, something else. People, people have rights until their rights contravene the the capitalist power of the state. Like that's my feeling on certain things. Like Kelly said, it was interesting what you said about Nike having this mm -hmm. this foundation when in, when they are yeah. they are a sweatshop. Yeah. Most of their garments are made in sweatshops, and I doubt they'd be able to trace half the people that make their garments. And a lot of them are the women that they're there seeking to help. And you can say it's arguable that they want to help these women and then they're making them visible. But is it just because they're trying to actually, it's PR, really? Yeah, which is unfortunate because they probably know that they're making real And this is their life. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of use them as a like, you know, marketing tool. Yeah. Factory store kind of concept where they go to work for Nike and for sweatshops. And you haven't got the means to feed because yeah. where you live is arid and there's no yeah. grass and the cow dies. To a blind eye, it's a great foundation, it's so good, but maybe, you know, it, it's worth thinking about a little more. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, if, if we're going to um, think from, like, a, let's say we, we, you know, we think from a capitalist hat where we're sort of thinking about um, development, growth, um, increased profit and better marketability. Wouldn't it make sense for these companies to work better with the, the agencies who work with these garment factory workers to improve their situation where they not only create but also become consumers? But from the impression that I have, there aren't many 
the kind of volume of people who are working, mm. the proportion of those people who are represented by any kind of like collective organization, organization. is like tiny. So until those workers are in a sort of situation where they are being like collectively represented, well, yeah. Yeah, and then it also it does make sense that it costs too much money. They yeah. might as well then be producing the stuff in America or in yeah. the north because mm -hmm. yeah. then in the end you get the same yeah. kind of thing. So <laughs> that was one of like the key questions. Could you sustainably make a top for five ninety nine? So you know how you can go into a shop now, buy a t shirt, super cheap, and the answer was no. So like basically. Though the sister current like in just in terms of like garment ones, but in cur the current situation that like, model that we're in is unsustainable yeah. and like flawed. It's built on a flawed premise, right? So until that is addressed, like the actual root of the problem, yeah. i.e., the fact that we cannot consume as much as we have been, like you can't, like there's no fixing it. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to saying like basically. So obviously the reason they, that wouldn't happen is because of profit. And then, and the consumers in the global north, you know, I would argue, are the ones that are buying, uh, let's say, shopping in Primark and places like that, where you get, you know, you can buy fashion at a very, you know, cheap um, price, um, and that comes at cost to those working in the garment factory. So, and the environment. Yeah. You know, so as a consumer, we have, to, in a way, you know, we have to change the way we think about, you know, trying to save a few pounds to buy more tops and buying a few tops and spending more money. I think is that the I mean, I think that, like, consumers, you can't tell someone who lives in a, so this is one of the MPs, their question was, are my constituents are all on, like, low wages, they're on universal credit, they do not have, you know, good incomes, they are living, you know, hand to mouth and from paycheck to paycheck, how can you, you tell, tell them, them you think of yeah, the sweatshops? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can't tell them that like the way that they, you know, that they are trying to dress like their fashion choices are being like, you know, fashion is an expression of who you are in some some cases. Mm -hmm. And these shops have been able to essentially sell that idea mm -hmm. at a cheap rate. And you can't then say to people like, oh, well, you can't have you, you should like buy more sensibly because that's just not. Well, yeah, because no, no, yeah, I think, yeah, fashion is an expression of, of who you are and who you are. Who you are, right? Um, that's actually what you wear. But that can also be done not necessarily from new clothes, but also, you know, recycled clothes or vintage clothes or whatever you want to call it. Um, because, you know, tradition, like people who are fashion conscious, um, um, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's not necessarily about buying something new, I would argue. It's about buying something that fits what you think is your image or you want that's to That's true. Yeah. But even, um, I mean, especially in London, if we're going to talk about secondhand vintage clothing stores, it's almost more expensive than buying something new. Yeah, yeah. So it's um. Upcycling. Isn't yeah, it? that's the fan. That's the gentrified word for thrift stores. Sure. Yeah. I upcycled this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, this relates to a, a whole host of arguments that you know sensible branding, cruelty-free makeup is more yeah. expensive than makeup that tests on animals. Being vegan is mm. better yeah, for the environment vegan. than eating meat, but this is expensive. Yeah. Everything is commodified, yeah. and I think that when we get into a morality-based 
economy that focuses on human beings as commodity, then that is very dangerous. And that's something where only people in the top 1%, mm -hmm. only the highest earners come out on top like they always have. And like, again, like with culture. My shirt, by the way. Thanks. But like, again, with culture, like if you, modernity was brought to us for a certain, like we should have these things. Mm -hmm. Like in, you know, in some places and in some cases, getting something like secondhand or used is like not it's not seen as like a a good thing you know and again like that that i think that, that's all, it, yeah, yeah like, the whole concept of vintage yeah, itself has it's been just, revamped yeah. you basically buy new things that are labeled as vintage and then are more expensive yeah like well if you went back to like if you go back to when i was at school so like eight nine years ago you've got the clothes that that like 18, 19 year olds are wearing now, if that was when I was in school, they would have been bullied because yeah. that would have been, they would have been like, oh, yeah. you didn't wear that brand. Yeah. Like, unless it, like, people didn't wear that brand. And that's I how, know. like, yeah. it's so, like, unfortunately, the nature of the capitalist beast is that it finds, it finds an answer to morality by making stuff cheaper or by making people want to and then you discard the morality of the situation and that is the cruel thing that it's able to do. It also is able to sort of bypass whenever something is built that reigns capitalism in, that controls it, like unionised labour, um, anything regarding any moves that are made to secure people's place in the workplace. Yeah. It has found the way around it and therefore defeat, like, in the informal economy, it's just one way that it's defeated unionised labour and actual like contracts and social benefits and the welfare state because they've basically gone underground and gone, well, actually, if you aren't officially working for us, then we don't have any obligations to you. And that is, that's what needs to be attacked, is, is that, because that is what causes the problem. Because the solution seems to be like in the lecture today when uh, Francisco was talking about the favelas and uh, how they basically, in order to get... Um, the the people in the, in the slums on the market they started issuing them um, well they legalized the land that they had their um, slums on and that was literally just a piece of paper saying that you can you can live here now but that meant they would use that to get into the credit system of course the banks the banks would get loans using their their commodity now so the solution and uh, that's supposedly a leftist solution um, to uh, you know to a problem of you know inequality. Yeah, but in effect, what it's doing is getting getting people into credit system and getting them into the cycle of debt. Basically. It's exactly the same thing that Thatcher did in this country. Yeah, that's right. yeah that's it's exactly the same, just on a different, just a different arena to yeah. play out in, and just with slightly different yeah, it's commodities. Like, it's like yeah, I, I, actually, I, I was going to make that point in the, in the class, and I totally forgot. It's kind of, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you know. Really <laughs> like start a fire and <laughs> no, yeah. juice the mic. Yeah, yeah, because the idea was to give everyone the opportunity to get on the poverty ladder. I think, well, everyone, and then, uh, but what happens? What happens again? It's like this is what Well, we're 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 a really interesting place, and I think it's quite important for the developing world because it seems to be what is played out here plays out there in 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 a, maybe a generation or two's time. Yeah, but what? What happens now with the housing crisis here yeah. will be very important for them. 
because it will give us clues as to where the system will go when they reach that point. When mm -hmm. when when their market becomes saturated and these people have got their bits of paper saying that they are now a, a property owner, even though it's just a raggedy shop, but they that it's that's their property and it gives them a sense of meaning and a sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I know that giving people the right to buy their home gave them I know the importance of giving them because my nan and grandma did it. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise, and it's why they voted conservative. But then I myself mm. would never ever vote conservative because I I now can look back with hindsight and see that that actually disenfranchised our generation and it gave them wealth that they had not earned. It was unearned wealth. It was it was a means of buying votes and buying support for a system that itself called it was a, it was a very short term fix. Yeah. It it will not it will cause endless problems for generations to come because. You've effectively gone back to the system prior to the industrial revolution whereby you have land that you have landowners who own hordes of property and they then dictate rent you know and and then because your money's going all on rent you have no security as a worker and therefore you then need to take whatever work you can get and we, we, it, we're almost we're now in what i'd call regression like you cannot call this progression because yeah, uh, obviously the idea was to empower people to the ownership of their own property um, but what I find quite um, quite shocking that we still don't have um, protection of rent. Like there's no regulation around renting a property. The the property owner can. The fact they're all not fixed. Yeah. And there isn't a a legal system that you can go through as a renter. Like there isn't a union of renters. Yeah. It is a travesty because yeah. you you are basically saying they the market can do whatever it wants to you and we will not protect you. Yeah. And that's one of the key um, systems that you need. You need a roof over your head. And you think that was the first thing, but obviously that's not how the system works because it means that people won't be trying to buy it, people won't be getting trapped as well. You know, we can go off on our own little opinions there. But um, but yeah, no, so yeah, I, I think that comparison is quite interesting. I think, yeah, because uh, what we've tried to resolve create, clearly creates a solution. And that same idea has been offered to the South um, through, is it Sato? Yeah, so obviously he's being commissioned by 30 different countries to provide solutions to their um, socioeconomic problems, which is very scary. So much power in the hands of yeah. one man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I was only going to do about half an hour today anyway, because I think it is one of those topics that um, is quite, I think even in class it's quite difficult. Topic. Yeah, it's quite heavy. So. And I know Kelly needs to go as well. Um, I know it's gone two o'clock. Um, so thank you very much for sticking around. Um, I'll try to kind of just um, cap this off. And I think we did go off on a tangent in slightly in terms of uh, garment factories and kind of the fashion industry. But I think it's all kind of closely related in terms of the, inform the informal economy and especially how a lot of things are kind of um, quite gendered, especially in the, in, the, in the care service. And then I think we touched on a lot of different things in terms of uh, gender politics, uh, gender economics, and then kind of trying to use the global, uh, you know, the global north model on uh, the global, global south. Um, again, we can look to what problems we've already had um, and use that as a benchmark or like a measure to see how it might affect the global south, where we've already, you know, um, kind of tried to influence. Um, so on this note, I will say thank you very much to everyone for being here today. And uh, I think uh, it has been a couple of weeks since we've done this. So it's been a bit of a struggle getting back into it. So hopefully we're back next week. And again, everyone, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.